0: Wayne, thanks for taking some time to join me on the show. My pleasure. We just had a site tour um, mm-hmm. here in Sydney. Up, I'm up from Victoria. It's It's been it's a lovely day. It's just great to for get out change. for a change. <laughs> yeah, it's been raining here. Now Melbourne's got it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, it's great to get here and just see what you've built, um, to talk to Matthew, to hear from the team. It's just a great environment you've built here and to see what you're doing every day. Not only, um, I guess, the the journey of the business and you telling the story as we went through, but also, I guess, some of the complexities that are involved. Um, We're going to talk today about your journey, the business's journey, where you are today, and how you see the world through the lens of capital allocation, resourcing, and so on and Mm -hmm. so forth. And I would encourage anyone who is listening who wants to learn more about LaserBond to go to the website. Uh, There's plenty of photos, visuals, videos there that people can refer to. But if I'm not mistaken, Wayne, I think this would be the first long-form interview you've done. Yeah, sure, it definitely is. So yeah, if well, I stuff
1: it up, then know.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you won't. But this is um, this is fantastic. It's a real treat for me. And so, I think maybe to set the scene, I'll ask you about your background in a moment. But maybe just to set the scene, what does Laserbond do in simple terms?
1: Well, uh, firstly, it's a pleasure and thanks for joining us from Melbourne. I know it's a big trip for you.
0: appreciate it. What does
1: LaserBond do? Uh, We're in the the business of what we generically call surface engineering. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what that means is we actually modify the surface properties of wearing components or corroding components so that they actually last longer in service. Uh, It involves both reclamation of those parts that are either worn or corroded, as well as manufacturing new parts with advanced surface properties, so that they last longer in service. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, when when parts wear out, they always wear at the surface. Yeah. You know. So an example, for example, is you know your brake disc on your car. You know they get thinner and thinner and thinner. Right now we can we can make brake discs last a really long time. Yeah. Right. But the economics don't usually don't stack up. So that's an example from a day-to-day basis. But in industry where equipment uh, wear causes downtime, and that that can be a high cost of lost production. Mm -hmm. So our customers are are typically capital-intensive industries that have components that wear out, and when they wear out, they've got to stop their equipment, replace them. If we double the time or triple, quadruple the time that
0: those parts last, then we save them money. Mm-hmm. And we make that's our business. Mm. And these are like mission critical components, so it's all about things yeah. like mine sites with the big trucks that people would have seen yeah. around yep. rail, railways, those types of things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right.
1: So often the downtime, you know, can be tens, if not more, tens of thousands, or if not more, um, per hour in lost production. Right. Yeah. So if they can keep the thing running for longer. It makes a big difference to the um, economics of that business.
0: Mm. Uh, one of the questions that w- I had when we went through the floor was: um, some of these components are huge. You said one of them was six tons. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that get from the customer to you? Generally on the truck. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, yeah. so um, we what we don't do here we don't overhaul the whole piece of you know the the equipment mm-hmm. we repair those major components right Mm so we deal with the people that the businesses that that pull them apart uh find that these components are worn Mm -hmm. send them to us to reclaim uh as well as if you know our products division is about new parts right where we actually manufacture the parts to allow them to replace Mm -hmm. in service but the ones that come here for our services division um come from our customers directly via truck Mm -hmm. and that's why it's also, for our growth, it's important for us to be closer to some of the major customers um, to reduce the, the logistics, um, time and cost of, of bringing components to to our factory. Mm. In some, some processes, we can do on-site, but that's limited because there's a lot of operations that have to go along with, um, usually have to go along with it, like machining operations, that sort of thing. So usually it's done here.
0: Yeah, like uh, for context, for people listening, uh, some of these laser machines can be the size of a bus or like a small bus or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And then that, that's not, that's only one machine that's on the floor. There are multiple steps that things have to go through. Some of the lasers you can't look at, you are saying, you yeah. know, they if you looked at it with a naked eye, it wouldn't be a good outcome.
1: No, that's right. Yeah. So the wavelength is, you know, the intensity is very high. Um, and it can damage your eyes, but that's we look after that with
0: the enclosure and the safety systems. Mm-hmm. It. Yeah. So, if I'm not mistaken, Wayne, the business started in 1992. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 30 I ha- years. I happen to be here today with Monique, and um, at lunchtime today it's 30 years. So the celebration, right? Celebration. The celebration. But it's not <laughs> till later in the month. Yes.
1: Yeah. No,
0: the, no. The celebrations today. Celebrations lunch. today, but yeah. the actual anniversary the, is
1: the the company Hbof Australia Proprietary Limited, which was a private company that uh, became LaserBond, mm-hmm. It was, um, I think, the certificate was the thirtieth of September, nineteen ninety-two. Oh, okay. We actually started, you know, trading in in October. Yeah, right? fantastic. Mm. So
0: that would be that be great. It's good to reflect and mm. yeah. Um, before we get to the early, I guess, the origin story of the business. Which we just briefly mentioned there what was your background before this
1: i'm actually an electrical engineer by training um, i worked in the um, electrical generation industry for a number of years i uh, had a cadetship in that industry when when i went to university one of the lucky ones mm. um and then ended up in manufacturing high volume manufacturing uh in project management mm-hmm. um Truly speaking, I wasn't one of the founders of the company. My family were, yep. um, but I helped them get started. You know, on the on the side in the in the beginning back in 1992. Um, I remember my brother Greg coming along. He was actually in the surface engineering industry himself, working for others, and he came along, knocked on, and saw me at work in my other employment, and showed me a, a sample of tungsten carbide and this new technology called high pressure, high velocity oxy fuel. And he said, this is brilliant. This is, you know, saves wear and, you know, some fantastic opportunities. So um, that sort of opened my eyes as well uh, you know, as my parents. But that's my background. Mm-hmm. Right. Speaking a bit more, you want to talk yeah. about the, the yeah, company business. and yeah, how yeah. it started? So, you know, Greg, my brother had the idea. He was uh, he came across this, you know, relatively new tech or new technology uh, in his travels and learning about the industry. And my parents, Rex and Lillian Hooper, were uh, at that time, Lillian was still, mum was still working in the, um, you know, in the school, you know, education industry. My father had retired from a long career in the army uh, and was, was actually volunteering doing other work at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Greg... Both Greg and I, um, you know, we were up to here with mortgages and, yeah, you know, yeah. when interest rates were, you know, the yeah. 17% or whatever they were at the time and, you know, Greg had this idea to start a business, uh, convinced mum and dad to, to get involved as well uh, and so it was with their hard work and financial backing and Greg's ideas and hard work that the company got started in 1992. Late nineteen ninety two, so um, I joined them in nineteen ninety four officially. Yep. Right? So they asked me to come along because they needed an extra hand and uh, could benefit from my expertise as well. Um, so you know, I got involved in the company at that stage.
0: So what was it What was the business in the early days? What did you, who did you serve and how, What was the the scale of the business? If we could get a sense of that. Um,
1: Okay, so the business from the beginning targeted not just reclamation of worn parts but actually wearing components like the products division type work like, so new parts to actually make them last longer because high-pressure HVLF technology took the thermal spray industry into those applications. So other people that were involved in reclamation seemed to be um, focusing on that, just just getting the part back into service rather than making it last longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so we specifically targeted the um, the wear resistant type coatings that HVOF allowed us to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, and who are our customers? There are people in the um, building products industry, um, making concrete blocks and and bricks, and pump industry for HVOF. Um, you know, so a range of customers, it did take a little while to build that business, right? So, um, you know, my parents, for example, were working full time in the business. It didn't take a wage for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, they could afford that. Um, Greg and I, of course, with mortgages and little kids, we couldn't really afford that. But, you know, obviously we made a few sacrifices at that time.
0: Mm Yeah. Um, when we were down on the floor, one of the first things, I think the, a valuable story is the story of the first laser.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, how that came to be and uh, I guess how you save money <laughs> putting this together. Sure, okay. So the, the, the business was... Um,
1: profitable in the first year of operation, to a small extent, mm-hmm. with my parents not taking any <laughs> yeah, Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and targeting that, you know, wear resistant, making components last longer. But there were certain industries and certain many applications that HVLF is not suitable for. So whilst it can put down very high performance surfaces in terms of wear and corrosion resistance... The bond strength is is quite high, but it's mechanical bond. So in high impact situations, it's not suitable. So we were searching for alternatives to uh, allow us to grow the business into other applications. Uh, and what that involved was actually getting a getting a welded bond, but without the heat input of welding. Right. right? So we can get the very high performance surfaces. Um, and you know, various universities in, in Europe, you know, people researchers had um, developed, you know, done some work in laser cladding. And when we were doing our research on that, we could see that, that it had some applications. So we thought, well, laser cladding will allow us to grow the applications for our wear and corrosion-resistant coatings. But, um, and we got and thought, well, okay, we need a laser cladding system. How do we do that? Mm. We got some quotes to get some equipment built for us to do laser cladding uh and they were they were of the order of you know two million dollars. The company at the time was only turning over about a million or a bit less you know, making you know you know tens of thousands of dollars of profit mm. and frankly it was you know we realized we couldn't really afford to to pay someone to build us a laser so um we decided to build our own um, and use some second hand equipment you know a second hand gantry robot and an old lathe for a rotator and synchronise that. Uh, right? But we had to replace the control system on on the robot um, and interface that to a new laser, uh, CO2 laser at the time, um, and build the equipment. Uh, and that took us a, a few years. We started investigating around 1998 and we commissioned the first machine, in, first laser
0: in May 2001. And in terms of the cost of putting that together versus the new um, yeah. mach- brand new machine, how did that compare? Um, well, the,
1: the laser system, the laser generator itself it was new. You know, we didn't okay. want to risk you know anything secondhand there. And it's a high power laser, that was of the order of uh, six hundred thousand dollars. And then you know, the rest of the equipment we put together, I guess, for a hundred to one hundred and fifty. So all up about seven hundred and fifty compared to the, the two million. Obviously, that was still a risk, but it was enough that we could, you know, we could uh, swallow that at the time.
0: Mm. When did, uh, I should know this off the top of my head, but when did the business list on the ASX? 2007, December 2007. Yeah, right. Okay. okay. Yeah, that was an interesting time for markets. It
1: was. Yeah. Um, Pre-GFC, um, mm. but only just. Yep. Yeah. Things were, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was on the back of the the laser bond cladding technology, because we were really starting to hit some goals, and again, very, very small company still, but we were you know the technology was was new and and
0: and we were developing quite a market with mm. that mm. and building your own laser, like you mentioned that it took a few years, very like I said it's complex, like I look at something like that and I just I don't, mm-hmm. wouldn't know where to begin, right um, but that's now. Over many years, it's paid dividends in the sense of intellectual property, the know-how, but also, I guess, giving you the confidence to solve problems and then also speak to customers.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, because it's allowed uh well do you I know, yeah certainly what it has allowed us to do is develop a lot of knowledge of the equipment and the best way to get the results you know and that that laser you saw it down there laser the one we call laser one is still operating for us now mm. um that's well and truly paid for itself mm. but the the knowledge that we've um generated over the years on materials and how to apply them to get the best results using our laboratory which you saw right yep. um and you know uh, even back in the in the HVOF days before we had a laser we had our own scanning electron microscope in our laboratory um, and we were investigating the coatings at it that we're applying at a micro, microscopic level to make sure that we're getting the best results fine-tune the parameters on the on the HVOF gun or on the laser or whatever we're running to get the best results mm. and proving that to ourselves and our customers mm. so there's a lot of um, intellectual property in the business know-how on materials
0: how to apply them how to get the best results in each application Mm. Um, we obviously were very lucky to go through and have a look at everything but to set the scene this is a I don't know, maybe if it's nearly the size of a soccer field or maybe it's a bit smaller than that. No, it's a bit bigger. I mean. It's a bit bigger than that, right? Oh, it's 5,000
1: square metres here, 5,400 yeah. here.
0: Yeah. yeah. And this yeah. is the biggest of the sites. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You've got sites in Victoria, South Australia, and Queensland. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Queensland being the most recent. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Um, this is, And this is, I guess, we'll get to that in a minute and how you think about that. Um, but in terms of the. You mentioned products and services can you just break down in this technology as well how investors typically see the business from i guess a commercial perspective so um why you differentiate between i guess services and how that is different to products in terms of this like we saw down on the the floor there we saw big rolls and we saw steel coming in um or maybe it wasn't steel um you have to correct me there but then you know we also talked about the the machines that you're making and licensing those overseas. Yeah. So maybe if you can just give us a general sense of the different parts of the business. Sure, sure. Um,
1: so you would have seen some large components down there. I think you mentioned before, you
0: know, there's one that was about
1: six tonne. I mean, we've, we occasionally get 25 tonne uh, right. jobs through here. A lot of jobs that are only, you know, 50 kilos. It depends on, on what we do. Um, so the services division is about reclaiming those worn components as well as making them last longer. So those parts come to us, as we said, blower yep. truck, right? um, So they have to come to us, then they have to be prepared for the laser bond cladding process, or if it's thermal spraying, but most yep. of it, a lot of it's laser bond cladding. So it's some pre-machining operations typically, uh, and then the, the the cladding process, which puts down the, the the new surface, and then they have to be, typically have to be finished. Yeah. Um, so and then ship back to the customer for them to then assemble back into the, the piece of equipment. Yep. So it's two way, if you like, with those pieces. Yep. Um, timing is often important. Uh, a piece of equipment is out of service; it's costing them a lot of money to to um, in down. You know, lost production. They want to get it back into service. Yep. Um, so, you know, we have to turn around those parts relatively quickly so being close to the the people that are doing the overhauls that are pulling that helps in that that's our service division if whilst we you know we do pull work out of north queensland into new south wales and out of you know out of wa as well uh, all over australia but it's constrained by that distance the tyranny of distance and the, mm. the the time and the cost of doing that particularly on those large components for sure so That's the services division and it's one of the reasons why we need to be in different parts of Australia. Uh, Products division, we're actually manufacturing new products uh, from scratch uh, and putting our surface engineering on them and then sending them out as a as a part. Mm -hmm. Um, So these parts are generally considered to be consumables but so they they are thrown away, they're not worth reclaiming because the amount of wear that they get or yep. right, they're typically scrapped. Um, but what we do with our service engineering is mean, make them last longer in service. so that the piece of equipment that they're part of can keep operating for much longer.
0: How, just as a general sense, roughly how long might these parts long? Last? Look, it
1: really depends on the industry and and the type of wear, you know um but typically, you know we're talking model pools. Of four to twenty times the life that we get out of our components, depending on the on the wear. So, you know, it, it quite often, you know, the steel industry some of those steel mill rolls that we do as part of our products division, you know, we've got up to in some applications fifteen times what they're getting out of their original parts, mm. right? So it means that they can just keep their mill running for longer.
0: Yep, right? that's what it's about. Mm. How about um, so technology, which we can tie into a conversation around R and D. So obviously your background is uh, engineering um, and then, you know, you've got the the partnerships with universities, uh, you've got the lab downstairs, which we just took a look at. How do you think about, I guess, the competitive advantage of LaserBond and do you think it's in that R&D and uh, the constant feedback you're getting and improvement you're making? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it
1: is. It's it's. it's That continual development. One one thing about being in Australia as well is that uh, the industries are quite diverse and not necessarily that large. So we we do a work for a whole range of industries. We don't just do, Mm. you know, um, stuff for rail, right? Um, We do work for rail and mining and minerals processing and and fluid handling industries and agriculture, a whole range of industries. So it's given us a lot of exposure to different things. Also, as a result of that, different materials that we apply to get the best results so we understand those materials well. That know-how is definitely part of our um, competitive advantage, if you like, Mm -hmm. Uh, as well as the equipment itself and how to actually run it, right? So, you know, you can... Anyone can go and buy a laser, right, and then maybe you know, or buy, you know, and put together a piece of equipment if if they like and, and do, you know, they can do it. But do they know the materials and how to actually get the results out of it? Mm. So that's why we've always invested quite uh, significantly in our own R and D, because we've always been striving to get the best results out of our materials. You know, and you often say, well. You know, this material might be a lower cost, but might do a better job. We try that. Right? Mm. These sort of things we're researching on a day in, day day out basis. Um,
0: so that that's
1: definitely uh, a competitive advantage.
0: Yeah, I remember we when we we're downstairs, we saw this uh, the before and after photos from uh, some of the testing that was done down at Monash Uni. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, you could see the different bonds between the elements and how much. Uh, improvement there was from yeah. your continual, you know, yeah. innovation there, and it was—I was actually taken aback by it. We'll try and get a, a photo. I know there's one in the Prezo that showed something similar, um, and it was—it was just like chalk and cheese, really, like the difference between the bonds and the the surface, mm-hmm. how much stronger it is. And I think a lot of investors will hear this and probably think, well, from an environmental perspective and a sustainability perspective, this also comes into play because. Yeah. You know, this is a big factor for, for mines that are constantly going through these things, rail to say fifteen times a life is yeah, really exactly. important.
1: You know, in a carbon constrained world, um, you know, the the we're where about, you know, the circular economy. We make these things first up, you know, make wearing components last longer. We and, you know, services division we're actually reclaiming mm-hmm. those parts, putting them back in service rather than being scrapped. Yeah. So and we're trying to extend the time between, you know, when they they actually last longer in service. That's what our aim is. Yeah. People have sometimes said to us, well, why do you do that? You want to actually keep these things coming back, right? Yeah. But our, our philosophy is actually, you know, we want to actually stay, provide the best result for our customers um, so that, you know, there'll be other applications, right? We, mm. You know, if we make it last 15 times longer, they'll say, "Well, wow, what about this? What about that? That's, that's how we grow our business, right? Mm.
0: How does it... In terms of retaining customers then, is it, is the, I guess, the feedback positive, like you've got a lot of returning customers, they come to you once you've got one product through the door, they just hang around, they send you something else? Oh, yeah, that's exactly, well, I mean, that's part of our, you know, our sales
1: team's role is to actually, you know, be making sure that customer is happy, and they are, and talking about other things that we can do for them, Um, so that's, you know, the business development. So. You know, in terms of new customers, for example, we typically have about you know five percent of our revenue a year is someone that we might consider to be new in that year. But it takes it takes a little bit. Some can sometimes take a little bit of time, but they build yep, up, for right? Sure. Become they become a large customer.
0: Um, you need so to convince yeah. them, right? This is a mission critical piece of equipment. Yeah, their trucks down, their rails down. Like they need to trust that you're going to do it. So they'll exactly. start small and then yeah, yeah, buy into it.
1: Yeah. Right. And maintenance engineers are generally a conservative lot. They don't want to. You yep. know Said, "Oh, what's that old saying? No one ever got sacked for buying IBM." when Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Back yeah, a long time. yeah no, I know. no, 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 <laughs> um, you no. Know, yeah. it it's a bit like that with with engineers. So you, they need to actually be. Um, the results have to be proven to them. Sometimes we can obviously leverage off the success we've had with any of their competitors, or, or you know when it's when it's appropriate. Yep. Um, but it takes a bit of time to build them from. Customers. But generally speaking, um, you know, the customers,
0: we new customers become long-term customers because of the results we deliver. Mm. And that shows up in the financials over mm. time, the compounding. Mm. Um, the, the The last kind of division is around technology yeah. and licensing. And this is a really interesting uh, part of the business for a lot of investors because we look at it and we say, LaserBond's had all this success in Australia and is still growing in Australia. Um but this, we're not the only country in the world that manufactures things mm-hmm. and needs reclamation, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess why did you go down this path of licensing and how do you see that part of the business taking shape?
1: Okay, for your first question, why? What we, what we realised after building our own laser systems and, and developing that knowledge, that there are applications around the world. And we're saying, well, how do we quickly, more quickly get into uh, markets where we need to, a local presence, mm-hmm. you know, like what I was saying about the services division, um, you know, but but actually transferring that knowledge and also developing um, the local knowledge of all the customers in the, on those sites, we saw it's going to take a, a while, right? So yeah. the, the the best way we thought to roll this out more quickly at our know-how is to license existing players existing engineering businesses that that can use our technology to grow their business and pay us a royalty along the way mm-hmm. right um, so that's that's that model um, it allows us to be in other countries we wouldn't consider being you know being in directly ourselves or we don't have the resources to, to be there from a you know from a people point of view or an, a, a local knowledge um, so that's the model
0: mm-hmm. right? um, because I noticed here you know you're putting the machines together here um and then you'll ship them over is that yeah, correct yeah and then how does that work from a commercial perspective do you still own the machine or is it like you said royalties is it how does it how, how does that kind of economic the, model work
1: the the model work the customer pays for the machine
0: mm-hmm. um and we make you know we make
1: margin on that Yep. uh and it's installed on their site by us. We train them on how to operate. Right. Um, so and then they pay a royalty fee based on the hours that okay. it's running. Yeah. It's and it like makes a traditional them, model. Yeah, it yeah. makes them competitive yeah. as well as ours. We provide materials that they use, right? Okay. And whilst we're not in the business of actually making the materials, we know, we know where to source them and what makes them work, yep. right? Uh, and we make a small margin on that as well, yep. right? a smaller margin. Right? Yep. So, yeah, hmm. and
0: we see this with uh, other technology businesses and um, even hardware businesses on the ASX as well, uh, businesses that you know, want to get into these types of models because it works for the customer, and it works for you yeah. because for them, it's a lesser upfront cost. They can leverage your expertise yeah. and you can develop that relationship together, which makes a lot of sense. How do you think about, uh, I guess, the, the expansion here in Australia, which is another thing that people think is really fruitful, right? And obviously you do too. We talked about it here in the Sydney site. Um, you can have a, a morning shift and an afternoon shift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you made an acquisition in Victoria, you've expanded SA, Queensland, maybe other parts of the country in time. How do you think about the difference between buying versus building? So, mm-hmm. building your own site, like buying a site, doing it all yourself versus, um, I guess, just buying a business, a brownfield. Mm-hmm. And I guess some of the challenges that come with that.
1: Yeah. So, there's it's interesting. Lot, there's a lot there. So our first, so we started here in New South Wales. Yep. Um, you know, so I grew up in this area um, as a family. So this is where we started. Um, but our first interstate expansion was actually Adelaide, mm-hmm. and it's because we developed yep. a customer down there that wanted us down there. We actually did that one greenfield. So we actually sent down, you know, you know built a laser system, sent it down there, actually. Uh, and we sent some management people down there um, and we started servicing that customer down there. Um, the And it, w- it was successful, it has been very successful. Um, but one of the things about, that was a particular customer which was really products division type work, okay, not, right, not right reclamation. Up. So it didn't need the extent of the support infrastructure yeah. uh, and people to run that equipment. So. You know, you saw out there we we run a fairly large machine shop which involves Mm. processing the parts for the services division that come in, preparing them for the laser cleaning uh, as well as the lasers themselves and then some finished machining operations. So you need all that equipment but you also need people to operate them and know how to operate them. Mm. So uh, South Australia's been very successful but for our services division uh, expansion into... Which requires us can grow a lot stronger if we're nearer to customers. That's why we, you know, we've moved into Victoria as well as uh, Queensland. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done those by buying existing engineering business and then bolting on our technology. Right? Yep. So support infrastructure is there, but importantly, the people that run the equipment are also available. So you know, everyone's saying at the moment, but we've always had a. You know, finding finding skilled machinists has always been an, an issue for the company, uh, and it's something we do, we address all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? So we want to buy businesses that have already have a successful engineering business that our
0: technology will enhance and help us to grow that business. Mm-hmm. You know? How about on the, the the culture side of acquisitions? Um, you obviously want to retain those mm-hmm. those people. So are there any mechanisms that you put in place, or even if you don't necessarily have a an exact answer for that, but more so, how have you been with retaining those those members to date?
1: Um, on each of those um, sites, pretty good. Yep. Uh, the retention is is very high. Um, how do we go about it? Well, it's it's you know most the the, the two acquisitions, you know, the more recent ones, Victoria and, and more recently Queensland, they were family owned companies, mm-hmm. so a lot of it is about you know, letting them know where you know we started as a family company, and and this is where we're at. You mm-hmm. know, sure, some things need to change. We need to put in you know ERP systems and you know our own and to make sure things. But it's going to continue with the same sort of ethos. Yep. Right? And in fact, we need you to continue with that because that's successful. Right? Yep. So um, yeah, you know, I was down in um, Victoria earlier uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's all about keeping keep people informed about what's happening and, and, you know, making sure they know there's a great business, that we're growing strongly, and they're an important part of it. Mm. Um, so culture is something we're, we're continually working on. It's always work, room to improve, you know, but we're getting, you know, we've got a, a good bunch of people. We've got about 130 employees all up now. Mm. Um, and, they're you know, and they're great. You know,
0: those are the engineering businesses too. I imagine for some of them it's a liquidity event if they're a family business, you know, they yeah. they get the cash and they can oftentimes I'd imagine they can, their employees keep their jobs, right? Yeah, that's and, right. And that's, that's really important to them and maybe even they, you know, their managers keep their jobs, which is really important, right? Yeah, that's right. So you want that continuity and for you as a larger business, like you said, you could have, if they just do a day shift, a, Victor- a morning shift in Victoria, they might do an afternoon shift. Yeah. You know, might be able to bring in different um, people for that and then of course, the like the the lasers yep. getting installed. That's a whole new toolkit in their that's arsenal, yep. and it makes them more valuable to yep. customers. Yep. Yeah. So, how do you think about investing, like resources generally across the business? I um, know obviously, like enviable track record when it comes to dividends. Um, like you know, obviously, employment's going up because more people are joining the business. They've uh, got you know this global exp- expansion with the the licensing. Uh, you've got know, interstate opportunities. I guess I'm just trying to get a general feel of how you and the team here assess the lay of the land and where you should be focusing money.
1: It's a good question. Um, you know, one of one of the things that the, you know, the company as a profitable private company before it was um, taken public and, and being profitable since, you know, we have, you know, franking credit to sort of keep growing. Um, yep. But our, you know, in the beginning, like as a family, we we're always reinvesting in the company. We always have, right? So for it's a sure. matter of balancing that. Um, the dividends work well for our shareholders. We've got some long-term shareholders that are, that are happy with that. But we don't have a high payout ratio, and that's you know we because we need funding for growth. Yep. Um, so capital allocation is always a bit of a you know question. Um, yep. We. We've been steadily increasing dividends. Um, you know, we're going to af- if if we just want to pay out cash, we can afford to do more than that. But we need it. You know, we want to grow, so mm. you know, we're funding both at the same time. Yeah, and I think that that has worked for us. You know, we're um, we're not tapping the market for funds all the time. We've had, I think, two capital raises since the listing. One was more recent to fund Queensland, but that's been very successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were very pleased with that. It also brought in some, you know, small cap funds that couldn't get any shares, that have been interested in the Yeah, I know a lot, a lot of
0: investors would love to take part, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think that's great because
1: that gives us that long-term support as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, it's finding, finding that balance. I mean, the board always deliberates about that. It's yep. uh, something we discuss day in, day out and there's always, you know, some, um, you know, discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's what it's about you know
0: mm-hmm. uh, we we're just chatting off air before um and it's hard to get a sense of this but um i think you called it was it a vertical borer yeah it's a gigantic machine um with a big i don't even know what you'd call it like a boring like a drill bit that goes <laughs> yeah, into the boring it, bar, yeah. yeah, that goes into this huge piece of equipment yeah uh vertically as it spins yes. down yeah and it's what did you say, three metres, the foundations are three metres down? Yeah. Yeah. And this is a huge piece of equipment and you just look at it and you think, wow, Mm. you know, from the outside, someone who's not an engineer and then you say, you you know, you managed to pick it up secondhand and and I just think that as, you know, people have this kind of perception, I guess, that if you're a publicly listed company, you're profitable, you go in, everything's perfectly shiny and it's somehow like magical, right? But here you are, still got that family ethos and I feel like, that's really important. You know, I come when I was going through there before, I was thinking, and we know this as investors we, we know that family run businesses and founder run businesses outperform typically. And they're not all of that's not always the case. Mm. I want to be clear about that, but typically, right, with the studies show outperformance. And I can see it because I can see the passion. I can also see the, that mentality mm-hmm. bleeding through how you think about things. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, I guess so. You probably don't think about it now it's uh quite a few years into the
1: journey right oh, i'm i'm laughing because some of my some of the people here call me t-rex they think i've got deep pockets and short arms right <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to equipment but i'm getting better now look it's it's <laughs> that's good yeah oh, it is good I, I laugh at it too but um it's about having the right equipment and look we've got you know, some of equipment we do buy new. It's not, but that particular piece of equipment um was. You know, we we had to buy a high quality piece of equipment. um So yeah, we did buy it second hand, but it's a good, good yeah. bit of gear. So it's near new, right? It's like buying going into the car yard and buying a, a demo, a car, yeah, demo or, or <laughs> yeah. a car that's done sixty thousand k's. You know, yeah. you got another, you know, or thirty thousand k's, and you got a lot more to get from it. Yeah. So it's it's that balance, right? Mm-hmm. And and every piece of equipment, of course, has to be paid for. It has to be um, depreciated. Right? Sure. Um, we've got good backing from uh, you know for, from our equipment finances, at our bank and and banks. Are, so that's not a problem yep. um, to raise to um, to buy equipment. Yeah. Our debt levels overall are, are low. Mm-hmm. And the only debt we have is equipment finance like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of balancing those up. Um if we couldn't find that piece of equipment secondhand that was in good nick, then we would have had to buy a new one and yeah. we would have done it, right? So it's it's those decisions we make on a regular basis.
0: Yeah. Wait, well, was it um was it Greg who was CTO? Yes, yep. Yeah. Um I had a question come through is basically how uh you think about management responsibility and kind of the next layer of management and leadership in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously as you scale that tier becomes more important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess what the question this is, a question that came through Twitter actually from a friend, uh, he's an analyst, Claude. And uh, he was just interested in kind of that, the planning around the team, how you grow it, how you, and still have that technical kind of underpinning in the business.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, the 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 the, sure. the the next level or the management. We we have a leadership team here, you know, yeah. and you've met you've met Matt, our C, uh, CFO, and mm-hmm. uh, you know on the on the production side, mm-hmm. on you know we've got um, senior managers that report directly to me, and we meet every week mm-hmm. as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, you have got HR as well, you know, and um, you know so. As as well as the, the our projects division who, who are building the equipment that we need as well as our licensees need so we we and our R and D right mm-hmm. so we meet every week, uh, and it's about each of them working together as a team to develop this business. It's not about me. It's about that team, right? Mm-hmm. For um, sure. And you know, I'm so that that next level is is critical, right? And. You know, I don't know everything that's happening on the factory floor on a day-to-day basis. That's not my role anymore. Mm. It used to be yeah. when we were a small family company, but not anymore. Yeah. right? So that's um, bringing those people from within the organisation to, to lead it into the future. Uh, it's critical and we're doing that. Yeah, coming, you know, you mentioned the CTO, Greg's, Greg's role, Greg, Greg uh, chose, you know, he wanted to retire. Um, he was in his 60s and said, you know, I've had enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, we've done well and he decided to, to pull out of the business. But it, prior to that happening, it was all planned. He, you know, and we had uh, Thomas Schlafer, uh, uh, Dr. Thomas Schaefer, who was in the surface engineering business in in Europe, in Germany in particular, uh, came to Australia. We we employed him. Uh, he actually knocked on our door, with oh, right. his partner and said, "Oh, you know, we'd like to live in Australia. Have you got any roles for us?" It, it happened to be at about the time Greg was thinking about this. We said, "Well, we really need someone to lead our R and D," uh, and that's how it came about. And he's he's great. He's part of the leadership team now. He runs the R and D. Area he's responsible for the KPIs within that area, um, both directly our own R&D as well as um, the work with our, the, our partners in the universities um, through you know the CRCs and, and ARC funded projects. It helps us; those those agreements help us leverage our own R&D resources mm. to get. Um, you know independent verification of our results as well as their own as well as you know get more of that work done mm. um so that's working well so thomas looks after that you know and uh he worked closely in the R r d uh with greg and others in the organization to to come up to speed over several years mm. he was with us for a good uh three years before you know greg actually pulled pulled the bin and said right mm. things are in, in place so i want to leave
0: yeah happy. Yep, exactly. um so I've got probably one final question, which is more on the um, technology division and the, the licensing once again, is that's a really exciting point of the business financially. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to the, U, like expanding, particularly North America, what would you say as a business right now is the bottleneck in unlocking that growth? Um, you know, I, I, could, I was fortunate I could see that machines coming together out there. Um, we talked about resourcing earlier on and how apprentices are really important, like right through the business. Like there are things that obviously as a business owner and a, and a manager, things can always get a bit, you know, they can always be improved, right? Like, yeah. yeah. And so there's always these small bottlenecks in the business. Yeah. How do you think about unlocking that potential? Okay, um,
1: well, there, there, there's a couple of things, right? one, one is, Firstly, delivering the equipment and the know-how to the people. So we have had some issues with our uh, recent, more recent technology sales. Um, we were going to deliver in FY22 uh, with with components that were uh, were promised. Delivery within the time frame that they they we expected, and then they, they kept our suppliers kept pushing them out. We can't get the components. We can't get the components, right? So ultimately, that meant that some equipment couldn't be delivered last financial year that should have been delivered. Um, so that's been one issue. It's COVID-induced, you know. Yep. Supply chains. Supply chain issues, right? And yeah. um, and you know, whilst. Uh, And we couldn't foresee it because they were promising, oh, yeah, you'll have that in February, right? Yeah. Components in February. Oh, no, it's not arriving till April. Uh, Oh, no, it's going to be August. Uh, Okay. (laughs) This is is the stuff that happened. Nothing we could do. That was one constraint. And obviously, uh, you know, in a... Well, one thing that's happening, you know, in Australia is also skill shortages, right? So we have um, struggled to get... uh, um, automation programmers, and you know which is necessary for that, but um, we're overcoming that. Right? Mm-hmm. So we, we, we're recruiting those. So that has been a constraint. About the future, okay. The other the other issue is about the um, developing those customers um, mm-hmm. for our technology. For sure, uh, they need to not only be witness what we can supply them but to to, to see value in that and that takes time Mm. it takes you know so um we've got some very strong interest uh you know we had um, two people in in india recently uh, our international sales um and we were an expo a couple of expositions over there and we've got some very strong interest from potential partners in in India, we're going through now a, a, a proving process. They're sending some components for us to actually reclaim, and we're putting together the economics for them. So building the business, helping them build their business case. Yeah. In India, uh, we've also got strong uh, interests in uh, South America, um, Peru, Chile, and Brazil. Um, they've just come back literally this week from being spending two weeks, sorry, three weeks in in. Um, South America again with some very strong interests. Some of these uh, potential partners are coming, planning to come out here in at the end of November, hmm. right? So um, it's about that business development yep. um, along with that. So um, you know our, our plans are actually to to have at least two new technology sales um, hmm. over the next next couple of years. Right? Hmm. Um, and that's sort of factored into our targets that we've announced for FY '25. Yeah, right, it's part of it, uh, as well as you know the the organic growth of the business and um, and domestic expansion. Mm.
0: You know? Yeah, I think that's um, and this is what I was saying to you earlier on is that uh, I do like businesses that have multiple ways of winning. Um, like you said, they take time, mm. and you express that through the the components for the. For the machines right mm-hmm. these, these things happen and this is a, a business and mm. you know, it's not always it's not linear yeah you know these, these to get to a to b it tends to go mm. all over the place but Wayne, um i really do appreciate you taking the time to show us through today i know you don't get that uh, that many investors coming through and actually seeing it in person um if you are a shareholder and um the agms like i'm, I'm sure there's like uh, plenty of people out there who would love to uh, reach out and get in touch, but um, I think you're gonna have a little bit more interest after after this. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fantastic. So, um, yeah, thank you for taking the time to join me and, and walk me through the business. It's been been my pleasure. You know, thank you very much for your interest in
1: Laserbond, and you know, it's it's fantastic. And you know, to be honest, I I love showing potential yeah, shareholders or shareholders through the business. It's you know, we're very. And for that matter, you know, everyone here does as well. We're very proud of what we do and, and it's great to show people. So, um, yeah, really appreciate it.
0: For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods